RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It's not too often that you have someone who is a star athlete, wins multiple national championships, even gets to live out his dream of playing big-time baseball, minor league baseball, and then is even possibly more successful in business and in broadcasting. But that's exactly what our next guest here on the Rap Game Podcast did. He starred at Holy Savior Menard High School. He would go on to be a big-time left-handed pitcher for Skip Bertman and the LSU Tigers, part of not one but two College World Series teams. He was named to the All-SEC Tournament Team in 1992. He would go on to play in the minor league organizations for both the Padres and the Brewers, but an injury put him into business and and broadcasting where he has succeeded. He's had numerous shows. He's been on multiple telecasts, and now he's thriving in his role as the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame Foundation CEO and president, a role he's held since September of 2016. It's my privilege to welcome to the Rap Game Podcast the one and only Ronnie Rance. Ronnie, good day to you, sir. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. That was quite the introduction. I mean, this is like, this is your life, you know, <laughs> that's what that sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, I know we'll get to the Hall of Fame. Obviously, it's it, we're ramping up all, all the preparations to, to pull off the weekend. We're going to get to that and let all the folks know what's going on and where they can get additional information. But I want to take it back. And my first question to you is, you are built and were built like a pass-rushing defensive end. Six foot five, 240 pounds. Brother, how did you not go to college to play football? Instead, you were a big southpaw for Skip Bertman. How did that happen? Well, at the end of the day, I had numerous offers to play college football, and it just came down to what what I enjoy doing on a day-in, day-out basis and what did I think I'd have the best chance to maybe make it to the major leagues or make it to the NFL and all that. And I just... I loved baseball just a little bit more um, on a day-in and day-out basis. I, I thought I had a better chance as a left-handed pitcher of having a long professional career. But I'll be honest with you, I played football, baseball, and basketball in high school. And my favorite times of my life were Friday night high school football games. I mean, I, I, you know, I was fortunate to dogpile in Omaha for a couple of national championships. But I'll take a Friday night high school football, big district rival matchup, but I, that was more fun than anything I ever did in, in sports. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, but I was also smart enough framing to, to do the math, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to go – if I go to LSU to play football, I'm a red shirt, then I'm going to probably sit two years because they got Harold Bishop. He's going to play in the NFL. I'll play tight end. I'm going to play offense, not defense and special teams. So, they're, I, I okay, I'm going to work this hard. I'm going to lift weights for 11 games. I'm a be on the field for 422 snaps now i'm good i'll go play baseball (laughs) you know i i literally like thought like that about it and boy did it end up being the right choice because as much as i love football and playing football games there's nothing that compares to that um if i'd have gone lsu i'd have played for curl mike archer and curly Holman during the dark ages of lsu football meanwhile across the street lsu was having the, the heyday of of LSU baseball, and I was fortunate to be on two national championship teams. Tell me a little bit about uh, recruiting. Who was recruiting you uh, hot and heavy for both football and obviously baseball? Well, for football, uh, you know, University of Miami was a team that was uh, talking to me a lot. That was Dennis Erickson was the coach back then. Um, he even called me from the 
Super Bowl floor one time. Right, I mean the Sugar, uh, the Superdome floor. Right before the Sugar Bowl, I think they played my, uh, Alabama or something. I think 1990, I believe. And he called me before the game. It was just a thing they did to recruit. Let, let you know. But uh, Miami was interesting. Uh, LSU. I mean, you know, LSU was, was was a team that was talking to me. But it really, it, it, you know, I, I told football coaches uh, towards the end of the fall, even before it got to signing day, that I was not going to play football. That I was going to go baseball. Um, but what it came down to in baseball was was Arizona State and LSU. My family moved to Phoenix, Arizona, going into my senior year of high school, uh, the summer before my senior year of high school, and they were living in Phoenix, Arizona. I played AAU basketball and Connie Mack baseball out in Arizona, and it came down to st- uh, Coach Brock, who was a legendary coach um, at Arizona State. That's where Reggie Jackson went. That's oh, where yeah. Bob Horner went. You know, Barry Bonds. I mean, this is. This was in the heyday in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Arizona State was a dynasty. And um, and my mom wanted me to go there. She wanted to watch her, her baby play, right? You know, be right there in the neighborhood. And uh, I always wanted to be an LSU Tiger. I'd go into Skip Burtman baseball camp my, after my freshman summer. And, and LSU offered me after my sophomore summer at camp to come be a Tiger when I graduated. And I, I always wanted to be an LSU Tiger. So there was no doubt I, was, I, was, I wasn't going anywhere else easy decision for you to make to go play for skip and you were part of not one but two college world series national championship teams and i tell people this out of the state ronnie because i lived in new orleans and i lived in baton rouge around that time and i genuinely say that the baseball team was the hot ticket like they were the most important thing more so than football and people are like no you're crazy that's not how it was for someone who played for the team you guys were the biggest rock stars on campus right well, it, I don't know about rock stars on campus, you know, but because we were still a part of the building phase when I got there. Um, football's still always king, and of course, basketball. I mean, I was there during Shaquille O'Neal. He was the rock star on campus for sure. Uh, but, you know, we were the joy. I mean, you know, we, I mean, football, you used to go to football games in 91, 92, 93, and the stadium was not full. You know, I mean, it was, it yeah. was half full, uh, you know, and. And they were losing, and you know, and uh, getting beat bad, and and so, and then basketball kind of underachieved during that time, you know, when they had Chris Jackson and Shaq and all they Stanley they Roberts teams, yeah, yeah, they were yeah they were good teams, and they even have an SEC championship, I think it was ninety one or something ninety two or something, they won a national championship, but they, they didn't do anything in the postseason, so there was a disappointment there with with LSU basketball, LSU football was clearly in the dark ages. Um, and so LSU baseball was coming on. Uh, but, but what's funny is that going into my freshman uh, fall, LSU, Skip Bertman had been to the College World Series four times and had never won it. And there was actually an article written that compared him to Coach K, uh, who had gone to four Final Fours and never won and it. And hadn't won yet by that time. And, yeah. they com- and they were comparing them. It was Joe Macaluso wrote the article, and he compared the two, and he said, I wonder if they can win the big one. Maybe they're just not good enough coaches to win the big one. And of course, I mean, it's a straight up article. You can find it. It's hilarious. I always tease Joe Mack about that. And um, so, I mean, that's where LSU baseball was. And then, of course, it, you know, boom, in a matter of uh, minutes, it turned on a dime and, and became a powerhouse. What was it like being coached by Skip Bertman? I know you talked about that a little bit in the Hold the Rope documentary uh, by ESPN and the SEC Network, but for you personally, uh, what what was getting to know Skip, what was it like being coached by him? Well, it's hard, you know, when you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid to truly take it all in and appreciate it in that moment and, and to squeeze all the blood out of the turnip like I should have. But as you look back later in life, you realize, 
so many of the, the life lessons uh, soaked in even more than you realized at the time. Because um, I wasn't a great student. I wasn't the hardest worker. Um, but other things did ab- get absorbed. You know, I learned a lot of other things from Skip. Uh, but but to, the thing about Coach is that he, whatever he said, you never questioned it, right? Like there's a lot of a lot of players play for coaches where they they say, um, you know, like we're going to bunt right here, and maybe guys are on the du- du- on the bench going, why are we bunting? You know, but with Coach Burtman, you never question why you were bunting. You know, um, you, you just knew that he was he was the guy and he was the legend, and uh, I mean, just he was funny. He was self-deprecating. He, all, he used to come to me, hey, Jumbo, listen, uh, called me Jumbo because I wore the same, same size giant pants as him. He said, hey, Jumbo, listen, I need you to uh, – we got a team function coming up. I need you to put together a little comedy video. I need you to get the boys together and come up with a game to play uh, for some laughs. And he, he let us make fun of him and make fun of ourselves. He was just a joy to be around. Now – you know, it was time to get serious. We turned it on, but we had a lot of fun. And, and that's something that, unfortunately, I don't see as many guys doing. I'm talking about just LSU these days. I'm talking about college baseball in general. Sometimes these schools, it's too serious. It's too much about the next level. But we just had a lot of fun being around Coach Bertman and, and, and being around each other. I have to ask you, I know you've I've had you talk about it before, but the uh, the nickname, the, the pants nickname, there's a story behind that. Can you care to, Would you care to share that, please? Is a, is a funny one. Um, my first day ever uh, at LSU uh, for practice, you go to your locker and there's all your stuff in your locker. And you've already filled out a form, you know, requesting you know, your number. You got first choice, second choice, third choice. And you give them your hat size, your pants size, your belt size, all this stuff. I get to my locker and I got everything there, but the only thing missing is the practice pants, the gray LSU baseball practice pants. And so I go up to the, the head equipment manager, and I go, hey, uh, I'm missing my pair of pants. He goes, yeah, we got a problem. We're working on it. I'll get back with you. I'm like, okay, no big deal. Well, eventually, a little while later, the pants come, and I go out to practice, and I'm on the ground stretching, and Coach Bourbon comes by, and he goes, uh, are those pants working out? Everything good? You know, uh, get those, fit good, feel good, everything good? Yeah, yeah, Coach, yeah, sure. Pants are good. All right, so, uh, all right, all right. Well, he, and he goes, all right, Jumbo, I got it. Got it. He walks away, and I think, Jumbo. <laughs> well, the backstory I find out is the equipment manager goes to Skip and says, hey, Coach, we got a problem. we got this new guy, Ronnie Rance, and uh, we don't have any pants to fit him. And, and Skip goes, oof, we need Jumbo-sized pants. What's the problem? He goes, well, he wears a size 40, and the only uh, size 40 pants we have are yours. And Skip goes, <laughs> oof, uh, all right, uh, give him my – jumbo pants and uh i'll wear some sweatpants order me some new ones and when they come in in a few days uh you know we'll switch it back and i so okay so that's why he came out and he was wondering how those pants working out for you and from and in baseball it's all about nicknames oh yeah he had all these new guys and so he's trying to remember people and he just had me down as the jumbo jumbo guy jumbo pants and then from that point on if he needed to yell at me or call for me or whatever he just instead of saying Hey you or hey twenty one or try to remember Ronnie Rance, he'd just go, Hey uh Jumbo, come here. And then it stuck and teammates started calling me that and uh in nineteen ninety eight I formed a company called Jumbo Sports Network. <laughs> <laughs> um 
who was the best player that you played with at LSU? They had some great ones before you uh, and after you. Ben McDonald's uh, usually considered to be maybe the best Tiger, Todd Walker, uh, Albert Joey Bell. There were some great ones, but for you, Bud, who was the best player that you actually played with there at LSU? Well, no, clear, Todd Walker. I mean, clearly. I mean, that's um, no disrespect to all the other great ones. I mean, I was fortunate. We had so many guys playing the big leagues. Coach Berman actually told us one time in a team meeting my freshman year, he said, hey, guys, listen, uh, uh, only one, you see less than 1% are going to play in the major leagues, college baseball guys. So, you know, and only one of you, that means only one of you in this room has a chance to play in, in the major leagues. So you got to go to class. you got to get your grades in. As it turns out, I think I'm the only guy who didn't play in the major leagues from that team. You know, so <laughs> coaches' numbers were a little off. But um, but Todd was the best. I mean, he's talking about a guy who played three years at LSU and basically averaged almost 400 batting average in three years. And that and that's and he and he didn't hit lower than I think 394 or something. You know, crazy. Uh, and I mean, he just he just came through all the time, even with a giant target on his back. He was super clutch. Lefties, righties, it didn't matter. Um, he could hit it the other way. He could pull it. He just he could do it all. And uh, you know, Excalibur, as Lynn Rollins would say, with that bat in his hand. I mean, it was just he was the best. When you guys took the field there in '91, did you guys feel while you were warming up, even in fall ball, gearing up for the season, did you feel like okay, this is our year, or was there a turning point? a moment in that season where you guys were like, okay, we are absolutely the best team on the face of the planet. Um, and, and before the season, LSU in 91 was preseason number one. And, I mean, and those polls are all based on, you know, what you did last year and what you got coming back. And we had a lot of guys coming back. We had a lot of juniors that were going to be high draft picks like Lyle Mouton or Andy Sheets. And, well, actually Sheets was 92. He was a, but, you know, Chad Oje, Paul Bird, those guys were juniors. I mean, so we had a lot of – and then we had seniors like our captains, Johnny Telechia and Tookie Johnson. And in college baseball at big-time programs like LSU or Mississippi State or Vanderbilt, when you have seniors that are good, you're always good because rarely do they stay their senior year. Usually good players leave after their junior year. So when you have a mix of juniors and good seniors, that's usually when your team's very talented. Um, all three starting pitchers and our closer off the 91 team played the major league. So that's all you need to know oh, wow. about our team. Um, uh, it's, it, we were preseason number one, but it was not always smooth sailing. I, and, and I don't know that there ever was a time where we just went, man, we are so good. In 1990, Georgia had won the national championship, and they were the first team out of the SEC to win the national championship. And, you know, they, that was the team that we were kind of, all right, you know, we got to pass them up. And then, and, and in '91, we had some, we had a couple weeks there where we got swept at Kentucky and we lost to Nichols or somebody, you know, like, you know, there, it wasn't always, it all. It, when I think we lost two out of three to Tennessee, maybe if I remember correctly that year. So it wasn't always perfect. Um, we had to battle, and um, and 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 in uh, the regionals was weird. We had tons of water in the regionals, sixteen regionals back then. We actually beat the Raging Cajuns in the finals to go to Omaha. Um, but it uh, so there never was a time. But we, but our team was super super veteran, great captains. Tookie Johnson, our second baseman, and Johnny Telechi, our first baseman, were two of the hardest workers on the team, and they were our captains. Chad Oje was the captain of the pitchers. The guy was the ultimate system guy. He was like Skip's general. Um, he got on into young pitchers when we weren't doing the right thing, and uh, and then at the same and we had guys that hey, their goal was to win the national championship. We weren't the best students that spring. I can tell you because a lot of guys 
weren't worried about school. They were worried about winning. Um, we'll worry about school next semester, but and, and that was the focus. What's it like being able to be jumping into a dog pile there on the field of old Rosenblatt Stadium? Uh, hard to breathe when you're on the bottom. Um, <laughs> if you ever watched the dog pile in 91, it's in the large human with the big rump that's getting smushed. And I remember literally trying to do like a push-up, you know, because my face was getting slammed into the ground, and I literally like panicked. It was hard to breathe. And so I literally was like pushing myself off the ground, just trying to get my head up enough to – to not get just, just smushed. Um, but, you know, quickly thereafter, once I was able to, okay, I'm going to live, uh, the tears came. It was one of the you know, greatest five, ten minutes of my life as far as just the feelings and the emotions and the accomplishment. And, you know, while we're celebrating on the field, you know, hugging and, and crying and, and, and all that, patting each other on the back, uh, Chris Mook is in the dugout uh, getting uh, stitches in his head because he had gotten spiked in the dog pile. Oh. And so while we were getting – uh, the guy who made the last out, the third baseman, Chris Mook, uh, the famous line, Mook across the diamond, yes, Tigers are the national champions. Uh, he actually got dog spiked in the dog pile, and while we were getting our, our trophy, he was getting stitched up uh, you know, over there on the bench. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing. You're never going to forget that moment. Uh, the next year, Bud, um, another good season for LSU. You guys fall short of – of winning back-to-back, but you in particular had yourself a, a heck of an SEC tournament. You were named to the All-SEC tournament team. Uh, what's your fondest memories of how you performed for the Tigers, especially there at the tournament? We finished. I mean, I had a good May. I think I was like 4-0 and, and, and or something like that and had like a less than 2 ERA that month and was 3-0 and in postseason. I mean, that was an accomplishment. That was a big accomplishment for me. I was battling to be the third starter that year with Matt Chamberlain a little bit. We had a great season. And, uh, you know, my freshman year, you're just happy to play and be a relief pitcher and have a couple of midweek starts. And then my junior year, I had surgery. So, you know, so that messed me up that year. But my sophomore year uh, was a lot of fun. I felt like I really contributed. We had a great team. We won the SEC championship regular season and the SEC tournament, which was in the Superdome. The only time that tournament was played in the Superdome. And that was a lot of fun. I got to start two games, beat Vanderbilt and, South Carolina in the Dome that year. Um, and, you know, those are those are tremendous memories. But the biggest one was, you know, I, I pitched against Tulane my sophomore year in an elimination game. We, we went one and one. We had lost to Ohio State five to nothing. Who uh, Another guy, a big leaguer for Ohio State, uh, I forget his name, but he pitched in the big leagues, beat us five to nothing, beat Scott Schultz and, and, and us five to nothing. And so we went to lose the bracket. And we're facing elimination in our regional at the box. And against Tulane, you know, our big rival, and uh, and, uh, and won that game and, and went six plus, and and so that was that was that was that was probably the biggest, you know, um, you know, and it and on my birthday on May twenty third, really, Kip Bertman and I's birthday, we share the same birthday. Uh, uh, got to got to beat them on my birthday, my sophomore year. So that was that was tremendous. Yeah, you got banged up and, and you were injured for your junior year when you guys won the College World Series National Championship yet again. How much did you get to play uh, that season and how much of a struggle was that for you personally being banged up like that? Yeah, it was. I had surgery in December before the year. And look, I mean, it was a different world 30 years ago. I mean, it's literally been 30 years, which is hard to imagine. But, um, you know, you know, when you get – I pitched for a whole year. My sophomore year, I pitched uh, at, at that year won seven games and then went up to the Cape and we won the Cape Cod championship that summer. 
and I had pain every single time I pitched. Um, as it turned out, I threw a whole year with an avulsion fracture to my left olecranon tendon. And what that means in layman's terms was in the fall prior to my sophomore year, I threw a slider, the tricep tendon pulled from the back of the bone of the elbow and there was a loose piece of bone just floating oh. around in there. Oh. And I pitched for a year like that. Um, and I was in tremendous pain and all, but it was just a different world, man. You just, you just, uh, I, I didn't want to be on the bench. I didn't want to have surgery. I, I mean, look, we didn't know. I mean, they, you know, they trainers back then, oh, you got a little tendonitis. You know what I mean? And it took a simple x-ray. Finally, when I got to the point where I, I, I couldn't take it anymore, and had a, it, I, it took a simple x-ray. When they popped it up, they went, oh, wow, <laughs> you got a, you got a bone floating around in your elbow and your tendons flapping around. Like, okay. So, so, so rubbing surgery. some dirt on it's not going to make it any better. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, of course, you don't go see Andrews and you don't go to the best elbow guy. Instead, you go to a, a doctor who's a friend of your uncle's who does hips and knees and, you know, it doesn't work out real well. And, uh, and then, you know, which is literally what happened. I mean, again, LSU medical care back then was uh, not what it is now, right? Um, and then I'm, and it's not anybody's fault but my own. And then I wound up having to have another surgery a couple of years later in the minor leagues with the Padres with a real big-time specialist in California. And he was like, oh, wow, we got a lot of things in here that we didn't fix the first time, you know. So um, it is what it is, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. It, my junior year was a struggle. I had surgery. Shouldn't have pitched my junior year. They, were, you know, rushed back. I really wanted to compete. Made a couple starts. You know, good didn't come together and then finally we had to shut it down at the end of the summer and then I had you know and, and then just tried to try to get healthy as best I could so did you Ronnie I don't remember this did you come back for your senior year or did you go ahead and just I, go I, into the draft I did not yeah I signed free agent what happened was I was living in Phoenix Arizona and uh and I got healthy enough that summer to pitch a little bit in July in the summer collegiate league and I and I and uh and through well and I had some teams that you know you know, Padres, the Indians, and some others that were interested. And, you know, in my mind, I always thought I'm going to leave after my junior year, and I wanted to go play ball. And did I mention I wasn't a great student? You know, <laughs> you know so, I, I, and, and so that when I got the opportunity to go play pro ball, it was like, hey, look, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it while it's there. And, uh, and, and, and then went to training camp with the Padres and then got hurt the following year, had a surgery, came back rehab signed with the brewers i was a scab during the replacement during the draft during the strike in 95 i was with the brewers had a great time as a scab you know wound up making the big league team if you will meaning there was no big leaguers and there was no triple a guys on that on that and i wound up making it and had a great time that that spring with phil garner was my manager got healthy had a you know was feeling good and then later that summer had a relapse but um and then a year later, I knew it was time to hang it up. But uh, how did you know? You know, I'll, how did you know? Because so many guys, so many competitors, Ronnie, don't want to come to that conclusion that it's time to step away. What was it about you that made you kind of be like, okay, you know what? Uh, th th now's the time. I'm not going to keep pushing well, the issue. Now, now's the time. Well, here's what here's what happens in baseball and pitching in general when you're trying to make it into the in pro ball. Half the guys, it's a health issue. I mean, literally. You go to training camp, you know, half the battle of making a team out of training camp is just staying healthy, um, particularly back then. Um, the other part is if they don't have any money in you, if there's not a, a financial investment that hurts them a little bit, they're not going to stick with you long enough 
to overcome the ups and downs of a rehab, you know, because when you have surgery and you rehab, it's not, okay, it's been five months, you're ready to go. It's a year after the fact. You have good days, you have bad days, you have good outings. The arm slot, you know, is here sometimes, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's low. And if they have a lot of money in you, they stick it out and, and you can you can get over that hump. But when they don't have any money in you, it's, okay, what can you do for me right now? And if it's not good enough, they're just going to move on without you. And I just never could – I needed more time. I needed to have that financial investment in me to where, okay, we're going to work with this guy for a year or two. And and, and I knew that that wasn't – that was never going to be the case. And so, uh, uh, so it was time to hang it up and move on in that next chapter of my life. So there you are. You're still in your early to mid-20s. Baseball, your career's come to an end, something that you've played since you were a kid. So how long did it take you to figure out what you were going to do next? I mean, was there just a period where you were just trying to figure it out, or did something just unexpected happen, a door opened that you weren't expecting, so to speak? Well, through the time that I finished at LSU in 93 and the time that I moved back to Baton Rouge, when baseball was done in the fall of 96. In between that, my home base was Phoenix, Arizona, and I was working behind the scenes in television as a, as a production assistant. I, uh, I had a friend that, that, you know, got me into the business, and then I just networked my way through. And what I mean by that is whenever Fox Sports would come to town to do an Arizona Cardinals football game, um, I was a runner or I was a stat keeper or – I did whatever, right? Got my little $75 a day and worked 15 hours helping on the broadcast. And then, and then, uh, you know, I, and then I networked through that to where then it became college football and then it became, you know, PGA golf. And, um, and so anything that was coming to Arizona, I was making connections and working and calling and going, Hey, Mr. Producer guy, when you come to Arizona, I'm your guy, save my number. I'll do whatever, you know? And, and so I had made some really good connections over there in the TV and radio world and everything. And, uh, and I was in, I finished up uh, my career in, in, in Canada and I had a decision to, okay, I'm either going to go back to Phoenix or I'm going to go back to Baton Rouge. And, and I'd love Phoenix. I had good friends and just a wonderful place to live. And, but I chose to come back to Baton Rouge for one. I said, well, you know what? I can go back to school if, as a fallback. I've got some connections. I can possibly get into TV and radio in Baton Rouge a little quicker than I can in Phoenix uh, because that's always what I wanted to do. I mean, I used to be a guy on the bench when I was in high school and do play-by-play, you know, like just do play-by-play on the bench with my teammates. Did it in college. They used to love it. You know, we'd, we'd, make, we'd be funny and, you know, crack on guys and stuff. So TV and, and is always what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a broadcaster. And uh, – so I chose to come back to Louisiana in the fall of 96, and I've never left. So you got into broadcasting. You seemingly transitioned fairly well. Why, why do you think it was so natural for you? I mean, you just mentioned you used to just do play-by-play for fun with yeah. your teammates. Um, why do you think that was? Why do you think it was just something that – you think that was just something you were born with, or maybe did you get that from I, a parent or a grandparent or something like that, just no, the I, personality? I, I do. Yeah, no, I do. I think it was something that I was born with, to be honest with you. I mean um, – uh, I, it was, it was something I was always passionate about. I loved watching the Cubs in 1984 when they came on the air with WGN. I used to come home from school and I'd watch, catch about half the game. And, you know, uh, it, you know, Harry Carey was on the broadcast, Steve Santos. Uh, I mean, Steve, uh, oh gosh, oh, I just, uh, just blew his name. Steve, uh, was a play-by-play color guy. 
telling his old picture. But uh, but I was just enthralled with Harry Carey. I mean, I used to do impersonations of him, and I just I just absolutely loved the Cubs. In the 84, they won the division, and they were, you know, Ryan Sandberg was my favorite player. And I, I just got into it, and I think that really jump-started my broadcast interest even more so was listening to Harry Carey. You get into the broadcasting business uh, based there in Baton Rouge, and it just kind of continued to evolve for you. W- what was your kind of your your big break, or the, the thing that kind of maybe lifted you to that 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 next level? That you look back in your career, which you've been broadcasting now for what twenty plus years. In the fall of '96, when I moved back to Baton Rouge, I got a job. Uh, I needed a job. I needed to make some money, and a friend of mine's dad owned the Copelands in Lafayette at the time. And he called over to a buddy of his who owned the Copelands in Baton Rouge. And so I literally was a server, a waiter for three or four months. Well, right when I got back at the Copelands in, in Baton Rouge, just because I needed to make a few bucks, while I was getting into radio, uh, John S., John Simino gave me my first break. He had a show called Around the Horn on 1210 a.m. The Score, which wasn't 1210 a.m. The Score back then. It was 1210 a.m. WBIU Christian Country except for four hours in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) John S. and I did two hours of of Around the Horn was the name of our show, and then right after us was John Fine and Tommy Chrysan with Sports Talk. And 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 then the rest of the time, it was Christian Country and then then Denham Springs High School Football on Friday night. That's what the station was. It was a little 1,000 a.m. watch station. In Denham Springs, uh, its sister station was 96.1 The River, which, of course, ended up both those stations got acquired by uh, iHeartMedia now. Um, But that's how I got my start. In the fall of 1996, John S. was a funny guy. He was kind of a prankster, uh, sarcastic, hilarious guy. Um, And then about six months later, Tommy Chrysan and I started doing a show. Uh, About a year later, I started doing a show with – uh, Jim, uh, uh, not Jim Henderson, but uh, Larry Matson. Okay. Larry Matson and I did a show together for a, 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 called the Lunch Bunch. <laughs> it was a three-hour show that uh, Gordy Rush named us the Lunch Bunch. We did it from uh, eleven to two. He was the he was the, the guy who named the show at the time. So I, I, I got into sports daily sports talk just like you do. For I uh, did that for about three years, and then um, and then uh, transitioned to some other stuff, but. Uh, John S. really gave me my start, and then I just kind of networked my way through and, and came up with the idea of the, of the Jumbo Sports Network doing college baseball in the, in, in the spring of 98. How difficult was it getting your own network up and running? <laughs> super, super tough. Uh, <laughs> didn't make any money probably the first year or two. Lost money. Not, not a ton, though. You know, it didn't, didn't, like, go in debt. Just really didn't make any money. Um, uh you know, at the time, College of LSU Baseball was sold out. They had just won their fourth national championship in 97. I ran into Coach Bertman, literally ran into him in a Winn-Dixie, our buggies, you know, touching. And I said, Coach, I think I got an idea, man. I was like, man, there's none of these games are on TV except like one or two a year on the, you know, SEC Network or at the time was Fox South or Sports South or something. One, one or two regular season games, maybe the championship of the SEC tournament, and then Omaha. No, not even regionals were on TV back then. And I said, like, Coach, I think I can, you know, I can do this. I can, we can put these games on, make some money. And he said, uh, hey, Jumbo, listen, I think you can do that. See, if anybody can do it, it's you. But listen, lots of people have tried. 
many have failed. And just know this, if it gets too successful, LSU is going to take it away from you one day. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I went for it. The first year we did five games, and we did uh, two regional games, including the LSU beat B.J. Ryan one uh, in a, in a, in a, in a game that we televised um, uh, on the Jumbo Sports Network in the fall of 90, in, in 98 at, in the regionals in Baton Rouge. I remember B.J. Ryan pitched. LSU won the game. Um, we did that broadcast, Lynn Rollins and I, and then that was the first of hundreds and hundreds of college, LSU baseball games uh, Lynn and I have done over the years. Bud, you had, you've had quite the broadcasting career. You've had quite the business career, but, but i got to ask you about uh, your glorious tenure as the general manager of the <laughs> Lafayette Roughnecks of the <laughs> Arena Football League, too, my friend. Um, that, I, I just have to know was, what that what that, what was, that was like. The, yeah, that was the the year of of, of two thousand and one, um, and I've, I've I've gone through a lot of therapy uh, <laughs> to block that year out from my life. Uh, as uh, that was very difficult, I took over. Uh, about six months into the franchise's inception, I took over six months in for the general manager who was let go to do some financial uh, things that didn't go right. Um, and I took the job, and I, and, uh, and I was – it just – it was it was tough. It was tough. We had some things behind the scenes. I mean, Lafayette was great. The Cajun Dome was great. The facility is amazing. The league was good. The product was good. I'm proud we won the award for the best cheerleaders in the in the league. We actually literally did. We won the award for <laughs> for best cheerleaders, even though our team went I think four and three and thirteen or four and twelve on the field. So um, there was just a lot of things behind the scenes that uh, that uh, was made that year tough. And unfortunately, it was you know we didn't get a chance for a second year. We were the sister proper uh, state uh, sister uh, uh, franchise of the Baton Rouge Blaze. Uh, we were owned by the same guy. Uh, Woody Kern, who no longer is with us, and Woody owned the Tampa Storm, which is a very successful arena football team, and was there for years. And Woody had made his money in in, um, in healthcare, and he owned and he's out of Texas, and and he had let's say ten businesses or whatever, ten different types of businesses. Well, unfortunately, he had had a Alzheimer's patient walk out of one of his like rehab facilities, or you know, one of his all, and, and they found him dead down the street. Oh, wow. uh, you know, in a, well, major lawsuit and uh, goes on. Uh, Woody was a politician guy. He backed the wrong horse. You know, the guy who he, he went up against was in a position to, to kind of stick it to him. And so he ended up having to close a few businesses to, to, to save the others, right? And, uh, you know, instead of, you know, and so, you know, we can get rid of these, these luxury items, these arena football franchises to save the rest because we got this big lawsuit going on and unfortunately we didn't get a chance at year two neither did baton rouge and it's a shame because they were both really good products and i think would have been successful long term in lafayette you're doing broadcasting you're staying connected and then the opportunity pops around to join the louisiana sports hall of fame as the louisiana sports hall of fame foundation ceo and president that happens in the fall of 2016 and that's the position you've held since then brother but my question to you is what? Uh, why did this position appeal to you? And what's the you know what's been the biggest thing that you've learned in this role uh, in the last you know five years? The the position appealed to me for, for for some obvious reasons. One, I'm a sports junkie. I love sports. Um, I love that region of the state as well. Natchitoches went to high school, lived five years in Alexandria, had some great memories going to the Christmas festival and spending time in Natchitoches. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful city. 
And, I, you know, the idea of honoring sports legends, um, heroes of mine, uh, heroes of many people, telling their story to the state of Louisiana, introducing them to many people that would never dream of meeting these sports legends. I mean, it just all appealed to me. And then, you know, and then I, I like the challenge. I, I, I was excited about the challenge of, hey, how do we – how do we grow the brand? You know, I mean, I was somebody who had never stepped foot into the Hall of Fame until I went for a job interview. Um, and so that just it told me that, hey, that's that's a problem. You know, how can I be such a giant Louisiana sports fan and never have gone to the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame? And so I've tried, you know, since the fall of 2016 to, to do that, to get our Q rating up for people to be aware of the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame around the state, hopefully consider going to it when they're, up passing through uh, that neck of the region, going I-49 through Alexandria to Shreveport or going to Natchitoches for Northwestern State games or the Christmas Festival or the high school football state championships, which were there this year. So uh, it's just it's been a, a super challenge, but one I've, uh, I've, I've been happy to accept. Last year was difficult, right? I'm, I'm on the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame voting committee like you are, and we tried, and you and your team tried valiantly to be able to put on an induction ceremony, uh, unable to do so because of COVID-19. But here we are, we're going to honor the 2020 class in a few weeks, and then a few months after that, we're honoring the 2021 class, brother. So yeah. we go from not having an induction ceremony last year <laughs> to having yeah. two of them in the summer. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, you know all the preparation that's going into that and uh, how much of, I don't know, uh, how I guess – for you being a former competitor, I guess you also look at this, even though it may be stressful, you probably look at it as a challenge and you're like, okay, this has never been oh, yeah. done. We're going to do it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're going from zero to a hundred. I mean, and, 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 you know, people think, you know, people out there that might be listening to this think, you know, well, it's a hall of fame induction ceremony. I mean, what is that? Well, it's not just having people say nice things about them and they come up and get a trophy. It's, it's everything that goes with it. We have six, seven events going on in a three-day period, and many of these events would be events that one group would spend months working on. Instead, we're doing it, you know, six of them in, in three days. And and, uh, uh, and obviously, you know, we couldn't do it without, you know, great sponsors and support. And, you know, our, our longest-running sponsors will cap Federal Credit Union. I mean, they've been with us, their statewide brand, and, and we have we we go from a welcome reception and a live press conference on CST on Thursday of, of induction week, and then we flow all the way through uh, over the six seven events over the next seventy two hours till we get to uh, the, the the Hall of Fame induction ceremony itself, which is carried live on CST. And if you can't be one of the seven eight hundred people in the room, you can watch it live on Cox Sports Television. But um, the great joy that I get out of it is because there is no sleep and there's a lot of stress is the fact that everyone has a wonderful time. And after the fact, the Hall of Famers and their families and anybody who buys a ticket or comes to any of our events is just blown away and goes, man, this is incredible. T. Barry Porter, who you know well and I do too, who got inducted into the, um, the, the Rodeo Hall of Fame in Oklahoma. And, of course, that's a great Hall of Fame and they do a fantastic job. And they throw a big old shindig as well. He said, "Man, this was better than that." You know, I know. You know, little old Nacodus was even bigger, big, bigger than the than, than the than the National Rodeo Hall of Fame, and uh, and that's what we want to hear. But before I let you go, uh, you, you've come across so many people, you know, so many people, and you've been teammates. 
uh, both on the field and the broadcast booth with some some of the bigger names in our state. And I have to ask you for some uh, maybe some favorite stories from some of those, if you don't mind. Um, sure. F- first of all, our guy Lynn Rollins, friend, uh, also yeah. in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, a DSA uh, recipient. He was inducted a few years ago. Uh, give me your funniest Lynn Rollins story. Oh, gosh. So many. I mean, he's one of my favorite human beings on the planet is Lynn Rollins. And we uh, and we don't hold nine, it against him that he lives in Auburn now. We don't hold that against him, that's right? That's right. Yeah. You want to talk about a guy who can talk about mileage on his car like I can. Lynn <laughs> Rollins is right there with me. Um, Lynn Rollins is one of my favorite people. There wouldn't, you know, there would not have been a Jumbo Sports Network if it hadn't been for his help too in the early days, those first couple of years. Uh, he was a therapist as well as he helped get some sponsors and and he, you know, he worked for less money than what you know than what I wanted to pay him. So um, Lynn was Lynn was great, and and, and my, so many great stories with Lynn. We, I mean, we, I'll tell you one, my favorite story. It's our first ever road game in 1998. Lynn Rollins and I go. LSU's going to. It's actually 1999 because in 98 we did all the games at home. In 1999 we're going to go to Arkansas. We fly in. Lynn and I fly in to Arkansas on that Saturday. Uh, we go to the stadium, Bomb Stadium. LSU's playing them uh, in the middle of the game. LSU's playing game two of the series. We're watching game two of the series. The game ends. We go down to the dugout, visit with Skip. I mean, we're just on cloud nine. We're like, this is how the big guys do it. You know, this is this is how the national guys do it. They fly in. They go watch a game. They go to dinner. The next day they do a broadcast and they fly home. I mean, we are on top of the world, Okay. But one problem, we're sharing a room and we're eating at a Waffle House, okay? <laughs> you know, we're at a La Quinta and we're at a Waffle House. So there's no big time here, and we're probably driving the smallest car that we can fit in. So so what happens is is uh, we go down to the dugout and Skip sees us. Hey, boys, how are you? I uh, got any plans for dinner tonight. And we're like, no, Coach. I mean, we're like, you know, we're going to go to the Waffle House next door, you know, to the hotel. He goes, hey, how about you come by the Hilton where we're staying? they got a great restaurant there. We'll get a little meal, and the you know the three of us, and we're like, great, we'll be there. I mean, we're high five, and we're like, this is it. I mean, this is what it's like, you know, to be big time. We're going to eat with Skip. He's picking up the tab. This is going to be wonderful. So we go to dinner, and Skip, we're telling stories, we're having cocktails. It's everything we dreamed it to be. And then finally, the waitress comes over and says, gentlemen, uh, y'all going to have to place your order. The grill's about to close. It's getting late. And so we're like, all right, great. So Skip says, well, look, I'll, uh, I'll have a side Caesar, and uh, I hear you guys make a hell of a patty melt here. And the server says, uh, well, uh, we do that at lunch, but we don't do patty melts, you know, at, at dinner. I mean, it's like a steakhouse, you know, a nice place. And and he goes, yeah, but I hear you guys make a great patty melt. And uh, sure enough, they're like, the, wait, the lady's like, I'm going to go talk to the chef. Well, they come back, and yeah, we'll do your patty melt, coach. So now I had been looking at like the surfing turf or something. So now I got to flip to the chicken sandwich, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so now I'm like, I'll have a chicken sandwich, fries, you know. Okay. Well, Lynn goes, she goes, ma'am, Lynn. He goes, yeah, I'll have a side Caesar also. And uh, give me an orange roughy. I'd like some crab meat on the top, a little asparagus, a hollandaise on that. And he goes on with this expensive big time order. And, Lynn, and Skip goes, Ooh, Lynn, going with the roughy, huh? You know, and uh, I'm kicking him under the table like out a boy, you know, like stick it to him, you know. Like, and so, so Skip gets a little—you can tell—he was a little perturbed by the fact that Lynn went with the roughy and the crab meat and everything else. So, while we're waiting on the dinner, 
Skip's being very complimentary of, of my broadcasting and everything. He's like, see, Jumbo, you do a great job, you know, on the games. I mean, like, you could really do this for a living. I mean, like, you're good. And he says, and Lynn, I mean, you're good, too, but the Phillies are never going to call. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a clear – it was a clear shot, you know, that he took at him, you know, because he'd ordered the Ruffy with the crappy. <laughs> and so, and so uh, to this day, so so anyway, we get to the end. So the dessert comes, and the lady goes, would y'all like some dessert? And Skip goes, nah, I'm good. And he goes, Lynn, dessert too? And he goes, yeah, I'll have the creme brulee. <laughs> and we, we never got invited back again. We never <laughs> – all the years we were on the road doing LSU baseball games, Skip never once ever took us back to dinner. <laughs> and to this day, every once about once a year, Lynn will send me an email for something, and at the end he'll say, the Phillies still haven't called. <laughs> the Phillies still haven't called. I like that. Um, you also have a connection to LSU legend, who I had on the podcast not that long ago, uh, from Alexandria. Of course, the great uh, Warren Morris, one of the, the better guys that either one of us probably knows. Uh, yeah. What, 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 tell us a little uh, story about Warren. Warren's a fantastic human being. And, and, look, thank God he hit that home run because anybody else would be the biggest jerk, most arrogant human being on the planet. Uh, you know, but he's a fantastic special guy. His dad was a former high school basketball coach, and when I knew him was the principal at Bolton High School. Just fantastic family. Um, but I first met Warren, I was probably about 14 years old and he'd been 13, 12 or something. And what happened was there was a guy who lived across the street from him. Ronnie Hurd was his name and Ronnie was about a year older than me. And some of the guys in the neighborhood, we'd get together and play uh, basketball in each other's driveway. And, but, but I, I had like the slanted driveway, you know what I'm talking about? The one where like, it depends if you're on the left side of the driveway closest to the street, the goal was 11 foot, and if you were on the side of the driveway, kind of by the carport, it was like nine and a half foot goal. You oh know, yeah, I remember that. We we, like that. we had a guy in our neighborhood that had the same goal. Yeah. So so anyway, I um, uh, but but Ronnie Hurd lived right across the street from Warren, and so but Warren had the flat driveway. He was like the only driveway in the neighborhood that was completely flat. And I don't know if that was on purpose. I mean, his dad had been a high school basketball coach, so maybe he did that on purpose. And, of course, he had a goal in his, in his driveway. So we would knock on the door and be like, hey, is Warren home? You know, like, yeah, hey, Warren, come play basketball. Well, I don't want to play basketball. Come play basketball. <laughs> you guys used Warren just to use his goal, didn't you? <laughs> but, yeah, so we would, we would take Warren. And, of course, we'd, we'd all pick. And we're all two years older, and Warren was a little dude even at his age at that time. And he'd always be like the last pick, you know, okay, I'll take him. But he was good. He would like, he wouldn't go inside. He just would sit outside and just shoot big, you know, 18 footers, but he could shoot. And, um, but we always would have, we'd always like want, like if he was home, we would make him come outside and play basketball in the flat driveway (laughs) instead of uh, all of our slanted ones. And that's the first time I've ever met Warren. And then the, of course he ended up at LSU and my, his freshman year was my junior year. And I told him, I said, look, because he came in, he was, had been class valedictorian, and that's the whole reason he got to LSU was because they needed his grades to make up for bad grades like me. Um, <laughs> and, and and Warren's on the team. He's 150 pounds or whatever, and, you know, had one homer in high school, and, and he's going to redshirt. And uh, and he was like, man, I need, to get, I need to gain weight. I need to get bigger. I need to get stronger. And I just said, Warren, 
just hang out with me, big guy. Eat what I eat because <laughs> I don't have a problem putting on weight. <laughs> and I, I think he gained like 30 pounds or 35 pounds in his four years at LSU. <laughs> one more, bud, and then I'll let you go because I know you're busy. Uh, we, we, we lost a, a, a great one, uh, a great ambassador for not only – LSU, but for Baton Rouge, for Lafayette, for the state of Louisiana, and, and Ruffin Rodriguez. I know uh, he was one of the first people that you met when you arrived mm-hmm. on campus, and you've told me that story before, for yeah. a story before, and I, I'd love for you to share it the first time you met the, the late, great Ruffin. Yeah, man, it was such a such a great just spirit. That guy, you know, smile, give you a big bear hug, love that guy, and, and he was that way the very – First time I met him, I walked in the Broussard Hall, which was the athletic dorm on campus. I think it was the first day I ever went to like eat in the cafeteria there because I lived off campus. I didn't stay in the dorm; I lived in an apartment. But I would come there to eat in the in the in the athletic cafeteria. And uh, I walk in, and he's in the lobby with two other football players. I don't remember who. And he sees me, and he just comes up to me. Hey, man, what's your name? You know, uh, I'm uh, Ronnie Rance. I'm Ruffin Rodriguez, man. You you're a freshman? Yeah, yeah. And he, He's like, man, he gives me like a big hug, and he says, man, glad to have you on the team, man. We need some big athletes, you know, some good-looking athletes like you. And I go, hey, Ruff, I'm sorry, bud. You know, I'm, I'm not a football player. I'm here. I mean, I played in high school, but I'm I'm here. I'm on the baseball team. I'm, I'm playing for Skip. And he goes, oh, man. He goes, man, we needed some big old boys, man. We needed some help. Come come play football. I was like, nah, I'm going to play baseball. But uh that's how we met, and, and then, you know, we, we stayed friends uh, all the way up until the end. Yeah, I can imagine him just walking in and seeing you and going, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. then, and then his heart just sinks. He's like, oh, he's not playing for us. He's playing for the other team. <laughs> well, what's so funny is that, you know, at the time I was about six foot five, 270 pounds. Um, it, it, Kevin Mawai, who was probably in the lobby with him, and I was friends with Kevin since high school, Kevin was playing at like 6'5", 245, and playing center and being all SEC. I mean, it's crazy. You know, and nowadays you see a guy 6'5", 270, you're not sure if he's a quarterback or, or a tight end. Or tight end, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Brother, this was tremendous. It's been too long. I'm glad we were able to get this uh, done today. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for everything that you do as the uh, CEO and president of the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame Foundation, brother. You're doing great work. Keep it up. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Raymond. Enjoyed it. That's Ronnie Rance, LSU starting pitcher, member of not one but two College World Series national championship teams, all SEC tournament team, played in the minors, businessman, of course, general manager of the Lafayette Roughnecks AF2 team, and of course, the president and CEO of the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame Foundation. Appreciate Ronnie for joining us here on the Rap Game Podcast. That's going to do it for this episode. Look, if you've missed any previous episodes, not to worry, just go to 1037thegame.com, click on the Rap Game Podcast tab, and all the previous episodes are going to be there for your convenience. You can listen to them whenever you need to on the 1037 The Game mobile app. Wherever you may go, you can go check out the previous episodes. Appreciate your support. Until next time, y'all be safe out there, be kind to one another, and I'll talk to you soon.